0: And there are a multitude of forces that are seeking to discourage you from that truth of the greatness of our God, that are seeking to demean the power of God in your life. There are people, there are circumstances, there are spiritual forces that come against you that seek to discourage you from believing that God is powerful, that Christ can help you in a time of crisis. And I uh, hope to show you from God's word this morning that our Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ is powerful to help us and will be there in time of trouble and distress and that we don't need to be discouraged. Um, We have been following along, tracking along with the life of Christ and orientating our lives to loyalty to Him through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we've come to a section today that just follows on the uh, section where uh, Matthew uh, uh, records the parables of Christ. And um, one of the parables that is found there is is the parable of the great treasure. And uh, it says there that when you have discovered a great treasure, you bury it in the field and you go away and you buy that field because you have this... Uh, treasure that is priceless and um, it is referring to the kingdom of of God is like this or the kingdom of heaven is like this the the greatness of the gospel is worth everything uh, that we might have it Um, and and I wonder if um, it isn't the case where many Christians uh, are unaware of the great treasure and the great power that they have in Christ in some ways it seems to me that that many Christians are living their lives as a poverty-stricken farmer who has a great expanse of land but is unaware that lying underneath the land is a great reserve of oil that would make him a billionaire. And so he lives with great poverty and and from from, uh, hand to mouth because he doesn't know of the great value of his land. And uh, it seems to me that many believers... Are living defeated lives because you don't realize the great power, the great asset it is to have Christ in your life, to have all of the power of the universe at your disposal. And so this morning, I want to make sure that we are aware in this next section, as Matthew has laid it out for us in Matthew chapter 14 of the greatness of Christ. This is why Jesus spends much time talking about the kingdom of heaven is like. Because it is different than most people expected it to be. Uh, they were anticipating something different. They were an, anticipating that that uh, Christ would come and, and rescue them from their Roman oppressors. And that there would be uh, no more sickness and all kinds of things like that. And then he has to exp- uh, explain to them that, that the king is not like they thought he would be at this particular time. And, uh, and, and so I, I would suggest to you that much of our fear, our anxieties, our worry that we allow to be in our lives is our failure to really understand the scope of the power of Christ. And uh, it's of the highest priority that we know these things. I want to point out to you just something we learned last week, why I say that. Back in Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, it talks there about what is required to produce good fruit and to produce much fruit. And in that verse it says, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I want you to notice there, though, that the link between hearing and producing is... I heard it. Understanding. The critical point in here is is, uh, the difference between the one that was unfruitful is they heard, but they were unfruitful because they did not understand. And it is absolutely imperative in our lives that we understand who Christ really is and the power that, that is accessible to us because of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's of the highest priority. Circumstances. Uh, preferred outcomes in your life that may be put on hold by the living God will put our faith at risk unless we are fully convinced of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. Not on who we necessarily want Him to be, but who He actually is. He is more than we ever would want Him to be. So, um, today we want to uh, take note of the fact that our lives are not insulated, I think I'm uh, Mr. Captain Obvious right now. Our lives are not insulated from serious threats to either our lives or our well-being. And so the question is, will our faith hold when those challenges come? And it's going to be based on to what or whom exactly are we loyal. Are we loyal to the God of the Bible, the one who has revealed himself here, or one made in our own preferred traditional image? So um, this morning, I want to uh, break this into four uh, basic truth snapshots about Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm going to break up the text of Scripture. We'll read a little bit, and I'll, I'll talk to you about that section. It'll be a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, but I want to have it fresh in our minds, the section, and then I want to talk about it with you. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we are here this morning with our hearts hungry for the Word of God. We are uh, open to what you have for us. We realize, Lord, that our lives do face serious threats and we do face opposition that is seeking to steal away uh the things of god to steal away our our confidence in who you are and and uh to messages and voices that we're constantly hearing Uh, god's not so great and lord we we want to be able to live with confidence this song we just sang how uh, great are you Um, you are such a great god and lord i pray that your word might strengthen our resolve today I pray that it might transform us, change us, make this a change time in our lives. Lord, if we're insecure or lacking confidence or having small faith, I pray that this morning might be a real boost to uh, uh, strengthening us in uh, the, the accurate understanding of who you are. So Father, I pray that you would, uh, because I know you will, honor your word <clears throat> by having it accomplish what you set forth for it to accomplish in our lives. And I pray that, that uh, it will not uh, return to you uh, without accomplishing what you have. And Lord, I pray that it, it will be received and welcomed, that we might bear much fruit in our lives. For I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Four truth snapshots of things that are likely to happen in your life and uh, things that try to downsize Jesus. They might be circumstances, they might be people, they might be spiritual forces, but we want to make sure that we're right-sizing Christ in our lives and knowing who He really is. And the first snapshot is found in verses 53 of chapter 13, actually, starts there, uh, truth that will right-size Christ in your life. Um, Jesus has been preaching all over the land and and He's been well-received in His preaching ministry and then He goes home. To Nazareth. And we pick it up there. Uh, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He had been preaching around the Galilee area, and he moved on from there, coming to his hometown, which was Nazareth. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miracles? Miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Not Judas Iscariot, by the way. Aren't all his sisters with us? They don't mention his father, so most speculate that Joseph may have died by now. Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, by the way, that's an indictment statement. It's not a strategy statement. It's not one that we should say, well, that's why you should send everybody from your hometown who's got a passion for Christ away because they're not honored. That's not a a wisdom. It's an indictment statement. Now, listen, I want to point out to you here that one of the one of the things that bangs up against our lives is the, the, the cultural objection to Jesus Christ. Uh, getting, getting used to being uh, among the dishonored. Uh, that's who we are. If we're followers of Christ, we should anticipate facing the kinds of things that Christ faced. And that is to be dishonored and... And uh, we want to make the most of honoring Christ. Now, we need to know this, that because Jesus is not popular, and he certainly isn't in our culture, doesn't mean he isn't powerful. Uh, Jesus is the rejected Messiah, yes, and it's presented here, and he still is the rejected Messiah. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 15, you'll pick up a couple more things about, about objections and criticism toward Christ. In verse 1, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he says in verse 8, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Something we need to learn as we engage in the culture is this, that, that um, people want to believe that their hearts can be cleaned by ceremony or good works. That, that's why people reject Christ, because in fact... Uh, if if uh, if it's true that your heart can be cleaned by ceremony or or good works, Jesus is unnecessary, and, and so you'll see around you that people try to prop up that idea or that belief uh, by uh, demeaning who Christ is or was. Uh, we've all heard Christ described around us. Oh, he was a moral teacher, a fine man like Gandhi and all of that kind of stuff. He taught very important things and, and good things. And, and people are always trying to downsize Jesus uh, to be just a man, just a human being. And that's what they were doing in his hometown. They were mystified by this man. They said, he's just one of us. What's this with these miraculous powers and this teaching that's going on? And so at first they were amazed and then they took offense at him. Because they wanted to believe that they could be right before God on the basis of ceremony or good works. And you can count everybody in your life who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and if they have any concern at all about the afterlife or the big man upstairs or however they demean God, they are always uh, the kind of people who suggest that, well, my rituals or my good works are going to be all right. At the end, and that uh, effectively eliminates the need for Jesus in their life, and that's precisely what the Pharisees were doing as well. They were they were relying on their rituals and their ceremony and their traditions, and Jesus said to them, "Your rituals, your ceremony, your tradition is not going to cut it. You're speaking some right things out of your mouth, but your heart doesn't belong to me." And so. Um, We have here the cultural pressure against us to reject Messiah as well because he's he's not popular and he's dishonored. We have in our time uh, the same kind of pressure to conform to rituals and traditions of our culture. Uh, One of the key uh, religious uh, belief systems of our time is forced compliance to political correctness and tolerance. It is anticipated in our culture that that that's really the highest value. If you are politically correct and tolerant, then if there is a God, he'll be proud of you. He'll be pleased with you. And after all, you certainly don't need Jesus to be politically correct or tolerant. And and so these Pharisees, at the time the disciples report to Jesus, they were offended by Jesus' teachings. Uh, We pick that up in verse 12 of... 15, Uh, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And of course, Jesus ran right to them and apologized and watered down the message and and said, I'm sorry I was politically incorrect. I'm sorry that you think I'm intolerant. So please forgive me. I'm going to change the message. No, Jesus never changed the message to accommodate the offended. The truth is only powerful insofar as it remains undiluted by cultural values Christ never went around and deluded to try and gain a hearing, to get more likes on his Facebook message. He was, a, he was a God who spoke, he is a God who speaks the truth. And truth is that those who honor Christ also get in on the full force of his power. Do you notice that he couldn't do many miracles? He didn't do many miracles in Nazareth. It was gracious of him that he would do any uh, and he says, it says here he could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The simple truth is this, that those who honor Christ will get in on the full force of his power to help, but those who don't neither benefit from understanding his word, which we learned last week, or from the powerful force of Christ's words. If you aren't going to believe in Christ, then you're not going to understand the word of God, and you're not going to experience the power of God's word in your life. And so it is. And so basically Galilee, the Galilean area, has fallen to their preferred uh, um, style of relying on ceremony and good works to keep them right before God or get them right before God. And so Jesus moves on from there. I want to look at the, uh, the second snapshot. And uh, it, you, it, we'll pick it up in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened... Um, and what had happened is that Herod had assassinated John the Baptist. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Um, The second um, challenge that you're going to face in your life in terms of... uh, of uh, seeking to undermine your faith and confidence in in, uh, Christ is the area of sickness, the area of unwellness, physical unwellness. It appears to us as we follow along in the story that Jesus was bullied out of Nazareth and that he stood by as a bystander to the murder of John the Baptist and did nothing about it. Now for those who were living at that moment, living in real time experiencing this it must have it must have crossed their mind that, that maybe Jesus isn't all that powerful uh, in fact uh, why would he allow why would he just um, as John and Jimmy the disciples would have suggested just call down uh, fire and brimstone onto Nazareth and all those people who were who were offended by him, or the Pharisees and wiped them out? Why didn't he wipe out Herod and protect John the Baptist, who was his cousin, who he loved, who he, who he himself said, uh, of, of men, uh, there's none greater than John the Baptist? And so Matthew records here the ongoing story, to, as led by the Holy Spirit, to buttress our faith and our confidence in the power of Christ. And so all of these sick people show up. And it says here he had compassion on them and healed the sick. Because the question continues to be, who is Jesus? Can he be bullied out of Nazareth? Is he just a man? After all, he does have brothers and sisters and he has a mother. Why didn't he help John the Baptist? Couldn't he help John? Didn't he, wasn't he powerful enough? Maybe he can't help you. Maybe if you got thrown into prison, he couldn't help you either. And so all of these doubts may be coming in our mind and so, so it is with sickness. Suddenly you've been serving the Lord with all of your heart and, and gr- uh, a, a, a horrible sickness comes upon you. Can Christ help me? Now we know that Jesus doesn't heal every sick person. He certainly didn't in the, store, in the, in the Gospels so what about our faith because jesus doesn't heal everybody doesn't mean he can't heal jesus is the healer and what we find out here is that um, matthew as he records the healings of christ in his gospel always connects healing with following it's quite amazing actually i don't have time to this morning, or we wouldn't accomplish what we want to, to go uh, take the time now to stop and go over all of the texts. But I am going to give you a list so you so those of you who are keen can hunt afterwards. Um, here are the times that Christ heals in Matthew, and here are the texts where it's it's always they were following and then he, he was healing them. Uh, Matthew 7:25, 8:1, 8.10, 9:27, 12, 15, 1413, 192, 2029. 20, did you get that? Well, if you didn't, you can do the advanced search on your iPad, Bible program. But here you have an interesting connection of following and healing. Following and healing. The other connection that Matthew wants to make sure we understand about Jesus, about the living God and who he really is, is that he heals because he is a compassionate God. That's crucial for our understanding here of who Jesus is. When we're asking him for healing, God's heart moves to people. That's what, it, that's what compassion literally means, is, is his heart moves to people. The God we know, the God we love, the God who loves us, his heart moves to us because he's a compassionate God and he cares for us and he heals because he's compassionate and because he can, because he is God. And the message that Matthew wants to send us, the message that the gospel writers want to send us here is Jesus is also compassionate, just like the God of heaven. And Jesus also can heal, just like the God of heaven, which means Jesus is in fact the God of heaven. And that's the message that is being given to us here. Christ heals because he is God and he is compassionate. That's who he is. The king who we are loyal to is compassionate and cares about our needs. But he doesn't heal everyone on this earth. Ultimately, we will all be eternally healed. Why is that? It is important for us to understand that physical healing is not the primary mission of Jesus Christ. It wasn't then and it isn't now. The primary mission of Jesus Christ is to make sick souls well. Our our God uh, fully and continually seeks to heal the sickness of a soul which is destined to hell. That's the primary mission of Jesus. That's the primary mission of the gospel. That's the primary message and mission of the church. Is a compassionate God, yes, cares about us, and yes, heals. But His primary mission is not physical healing. It is spiritual healing. And that's where the confusion comes in. That's why he says the kingdom of heaven is like the king is this. It's a misconception to understand that God is going to heal every single person who follows him. If that were so, none of us would ever be promoted to glory. We would be perpetually healed, perpetually alive, and never go to heaven. So... We understand this, but here's what we need to know. Healing is a break-in, a miraculous break-in, of the age to come. The age to come is eternity. That's the prayer of Jesus when he said, Father, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, as it is in heaven, so on earth. When healing occurs when a miraculous healing occurs it's a break-in of the age to come we live in an age where sin is destroying our bodies where sin the ravishes the the uh, residual ravage of sin continues to affect us but but the age to come there will be no more mourning no more crying no more tears no more sickness no more death And so when healing comes, it's a break-in of the age to come into the present age. And the only one who can transport the powers and relevancy and issues of the age to come into our present age is Jesus Christ. So if healing is to come, Christ is the only one who can bring it. That's the message. That's the powerful message to us, is our God is compassionate, Our God cares about us. Our God loves us. Our God can heal. Our God is the only one who can heal. And in our sickness, we cry out to him. And our God's heart is moved. Although healing may not come, your only hope of healing is Christ. And the connection is always following him. And to Matthew, following was always code for discipleship. It's disciples who follow Jesus. And healing comes to disciples. There's a third snapshot I want to show you. It was immediately following the healings that took place of the sick in verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food Jesus replied they do not need to go away you give them something to eat we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish they answered bring them here to me he said and he directed the people to sit down on the grass taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke broke the loaves Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Uh, The third um, challenge in our lives that you have no doubt faced in terms of seeking to downsize uh, Jesus' strength in your life is facing inadequate resources for ministry. For the mission in your life. And uh, we have here an amazing uh, miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Which uh, gives us uh, for sure uh, the uh, at least impression that God really wants us to know about this miracle and pay attention to it. And so uh, what we need to see here is that uh, because most of mission. And you know this already includes inadequate resources. Doesn't mean we should send everybody home. Uh, which is what the disciples' uh, recommendation was when they got together at their board meeting with Jesus. They came to him and they said that the people are hungry, let's get rid of them. Let's send them away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. Which was a really challenging moment for them. Uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, and you, you perhaps haven't, but, but I also included in the, in the notes um, some Old Testament texts on each of these uh, snapshots of Christ on purpose because there is a hearkening to the Old Testament presentation of God and the expectations of of the prophetic nature of Messiah in, in the first case you had uh, the promise that in Isaiah 53 Messiah would be rejected he would be he would be um, um, dishonored uh, among men and in the area of sickness in Ezekiel thirty four sixteen, it talks about God as the healer of people and now we have um, uh, Jesus, in fact, manufacturing food. So we now have Jesus, the manna maker. We have this, this uh, picture for us of what God did in Exodus sixteen eight, and um, it's it's also fascinating that Matthew, in telling the story, he juxtaposes the the party that Herod throws with the party that Jesus gives on the on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, and in Herod's party, somebody gets murdered. Uh, among all kinds of other deb- debased things. But in Jesus' party, everybody gets fed and is rejoicing and is celebrating and sees the greatness and power of Christ. And it's no accident that it is stylistically placed this way for us to notice. Uh, Jesus is, is um, providing here. What invariably happens in our lives is um, ministry... Uh, ideas come to us, or are put to us, the mission is put to us. And as soon as the ministry outsizes our capacities, uh, we want to shut it down. It is a a natural tendency for us to say, well, we don't have enough resources. There's there's no way we can do that. There's no way way we can reach into that, oh God, there's no way we could reach uh, into that uh, poor section of town. We just simply don't have the resources. There's no way we can support another missionary, Lord, you know we just don't have enough resources at our church. I, I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard that stated... ...by leaders in churches. We don't have enough resources. It's the same thing the disciples said to Jesus. Jesus, wake up. We don't have enough resources. And so Jesus... ...slinks away... ...and says, well, I guess we'll have to shut down the mission. Because we sure don't have enough resources. No, he tells them... ...you have just seen me... ...demonstrate compassion to the crowd by healing them... Now, you show compassion by feeding these people. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And there's probably, minimum, 10,000, maybe 15, maybe as many as 20,000 people. Now, that's stretching a meal a long way. My mother used to be able to stretch a meal a long way. But this, this is something beyond human comprehension. Now, listen, beloved... In these circumstances, you can either get smothered staring at the size of the need and the smallness of the human resources, or you can right-size Christ and anticipate the greatness of God's power to access His limitless resources to enable mission and ministry to go forward that He's called you to. Now, look at. The big story here isn't the lack of resources. The big story here is the power of God with limitless resources. I hope that none of us in here, listen, don't make the size of what you have the size of what you can do for God. When Jesus leads you to see a need, he intends to use you to meet it. I'm sure the disciples, why did you have to say anything to him? You know, I don't know who it was that came up and said, you know, we don't have enough food. Why don't you just send them away? I'm sure they were, you know, when he said, no, you feed them, they're like, why did you go talk to him? You knew he would do that. Now what are we going to do? If the opportunity for ministry is from God, resources are already on the way. Amen? You believe that? Since we're employed by Jesus, are we not? I mean, we are employed by the God of gods who has all the universe at his disposal because it all belongs to him. And he wants us to understand this. This is not a cute little miraculous story that he doesn't intend to repeat. So since we're employed by Jesus, we should anticipate activities beyond our capabilities he's not gonna ask us at Calvary Baptist Church to do things we can pull off on our own strength what good would that be we can all pat each other on the back and say look at weren't we so wonderful we're amazing people we're really powerful we're really really uh, able no no he's gonna ask us to always to do things that are beyond our capabilities that are beyond our capacities so that God alone gets the glory If we're on a God mission it will be big And you are on a God mission, every one of you who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on a God mission, whatever you're doing. So you should anticipate stuff beyond your size. He's using us, keep in mind, to bring the God-sized universe under the rule and reign of the King of Kings. That's a big project. If you want to understand what your mission is, that's who you are you may have a business card that says you're something else but this is what you really are you are really employed by the king of kings to bring the god-sized universe under the rule and reign of the king of kings now that's a pretty big mission and none of us in here are even close to big enough to do that so what do you do what, do you, what part do you play in this great drama of God's limitless resources? What did they do? What did Jesus tell them to do? Bring your stuff to me. Bring your stuff to me. That's what, that's what offering is about every Sunday morning. We're bringing our stuff to God. That, that's just one facet of it. Bring it to me. I mean, it's not, it's not a faulty prayer to stand here and say, Lord God, would you multiply the effect of what is brought to you? Because that's what he does. That's who he is. And so he says, Bring me the loaves and bring me the fish. And looking up to heaven, he prays. And I want you to notice the results. Verse 20 they all ate, they were all satisfied. And oh, how many disciples were there? This is not a hard question. 12. How many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. He even took care of the guys who wanted to send everybody away. What he should have done is fed everybody else and said, now you guys go and buy your own food. But he doesn't because our God is so gracious. And even when we don't really trust him, he looks after us in amazing ways. Well, there's a final snapshot. Another one that you're very familiar with, I'm sure Jesus walking on the water the stormy trial immediately verse 22 Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he's dismissed the crowd after he had dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray And when evening came he was there alone but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it during the fourth watch of the night Jesus went out to them walking on the water when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. If I could come up with an English accent, I would do it right now. Because that's how Jesus is portrayed now. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm not sure how he... I, don't, I really can't get, get the accent there. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. This is an amazing section of God's word. Listen, this is the snapshot of th- stormy trials. There isn't anybody in here who hasn't faced stormy trials, isn't maybe in one right now or isn't going into one. Uh, and, and so... What do we do? What, how, how, how are we going to make sure that we've right, we're right-sizing Christ in our lives? Um, because regularly many of you who have written this, this story uh, out in your life know that the stormy trial often goes a long, long time. So you need to know as we look at this that just because Jesus doesn't rescue you immediately ...from a stormy trial doesn't mean he's unaware of your trial or unable to help you. Jesus, the divine bodyguard, is presented here. Isaiah 43, 2 is this, this presentation of when you go through the waters, I will be with you. This promise. Uh, so what, what do we learn here? Well, one thing for sure is never, never let stormy trials send you the wrong message... ...about Christ's love for you. That would be a huge mistake. Because the disciples... We're dead center in the will of God. He's the one who told them, get into the boat and go out to the lake. They weren't in this stormy trial because they were running away from an assignment or a mission or because they were uh, running away from the Lord Jesus Christ. No, they were precisely doing what they were told to do. And regularly, uh, I think most of you can identify with life uh, facing a headwind. There they are out rowing on the sea, making no progress. The wind is forced against them and they're going nowhere. Many of you have been there. You know about this. But don't ever make the mistake of upsizing the storm and downsizing Jesus Christ in your life, especially when he seems to have disappeared as he appeared to be here. So what do we need to notice here? I think we need to understand because Jesus talks about little faith. Notice what he said to Peter: "Peter, why did you doubt? It's, why you you have little faith or small faith? Stormy trials are used of God to take you from soft faith or little faith to settled worship. What was what was the result at the end of this trial? They worshipped Him." And so stormy trials are are designed to chase doubt out of our lives. Because doubt leads to fear, and, 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 and fear leads to you trusting in yourself. You'll become dependent on yourself. Here they are straining on the oars. You might be straining on the oars of your life. And God wants to break us of our natural human default to depend upon ourselves and our own strength when the chips are down. That we might be usable by Him. To trust Him. The key here is fixing focus on Christ. Do you remember? It was when Peter kept his eyes on the Lord that he remained on the surface. It's when he started to look at his circumstances that he started to fade. Because he started trusting in himself. What is the key to being able to keep your eyes focused on Christ and not be afraid in a stormy trial? I think the key is to notice in this text what is, was unseen to the disciples, but what was going on. Jesus, while they're rowing into the wind, which, by the way, for, was for about nine hours probably, because they got into the boat probably when it was still light, And it was the fourth watch when Jesus came to them, which is 4 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so what's the key here? Jesus is praying. He's communing with the Father in heaven, accessing power. He's, according to Mark's gospel, he notices them. It's not like God doesn't notice when you're in a stormy trial. He He noticed. He delays on purpose, and that's not. This isn't the first time that that we see the Lord delaying. He delays on purpose because this was a lesson in trusting in God. And then ultimately, when He determines that time is right, He comes to them. But He doesn't still the storm immediately. He comes near to them. Now, these are important messages for us as we consider our own lives, what is unseen. If Jesus calls you to go or to, to come, in this case, he says to Peter to come. If Jesus calls you to come, he will cause you to succeed. Rather than still the storm, he may simply walk in the midst of it with you until he decides it's enough and then he gets into the boat and it's over for this time we learn to trust in God when we finally believe that God is bigger than our stormy trial that's what he's intending to present here one last observation notice that when Jesus does come to them he doesn't take over and immediately transport the boat to the other side He won't take over. He will enable you to get the work done. And then this final interesting conclusion to this event. Regularly, note this in your life, regularly stormy trials will precede amazing ministry results. Do you notice what happens when he gets to the other side? It says there, there's three alls. In verse 35 and 36, all the surrounding countries, all their sick, all who touched him. Abundant ministry took place after the stormy trial, where they learned to trust in Christ. So there it is. Four snapshots to encourage you when uh, it seems like there might be a power outage or voices around you are downsizing the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be able to right-size Christ in your life that you might remain steadfast and confident. It might not be the timing that you have in mind. It might not be the way you have in mind. But Jesus Christ can help you in time of trouble and he will help you. He will not abandon you. That's the lesson in the message here. Father, I pray this morning as you uh, sink this into our hearts that we might not allow the voices around us of circumstances, or people, or spiritual forces even, to diminish the amazing power of Jesus Christ on behalf of our lives, oh God. I pray this morning that we might be further confident in your greatness and power to help us, for we alone are your people, and you love us, and you care for us, and you are compassionate, And you will help us and you are teaching us to trust you to be dependent upon you that you might entrust to us greater things for your glory and honor in Jesus name I pray amen the message from the great I am this morning is he does not want anything to undermine your confidence in the power of Christ so be very very aware In your life don't upsize cultural values and downsize Christ don't upsize physical priorities and thereby downsize Christ don't upsize inadequate resources and thereby downsize Christ whatever you do don't upsize stormy trials and downsize Christ Christ his power is available to those who belong to him. Now, I invite you this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, this power is available to you by a relationship with Jesus Christ. You come to him today. He invites you to come to him. But I also want to encourage God's people who are here this morning, whatever you're going through, don't allow voices to downsize Christ in your life. He is the powerful, life-transforming God, and He can help you, and He will help you. As we bow bow, uh, our hearts and our heads uh, as we close in prayer this morning, um, we ask the Lord to change our lives, to change our hearts, and it's necessary to turn this place into a place of ministry, not just a place of learning. And so if you're in the midst right now of a circumstance that's trying to undermine your faith, downsize your trust in Christ, why don't you slip up your hands so I can pray for you right now as we conclude? Anybody, anywhere? Yes, okay, there's, there's a number of people. Lord God, I'm, you already know hearts. You already know the circumstances we're in. You already planned this day and planned the people who would be here to hear this message from you, from your heart, a compassionate God. Oh God, I pray that you'll strengthen us, strengthen those particularly who have their hands up, going through a stormy trial or inadequate resources or maybe a, a physical illness or or just the rejection, the constant pounding of the culture, oh God, I pray that you will strengthen us with a resolve to know that you are powerful. Jesus Christ is powerful. And uh, Lord, we thank you and praise you today because you are a wonderful God and we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you wanna pray more specifically, our pastors will be right here. You come, we'd love to pray with you more specifically.